You must know the times. Answers to 25 essential questions on end times prophecy. A powerful new book by Dennis James Woods. Wildfires, earthquakes, hurricanes, and floods that devastates entire communities. Global pandemics that kills hundreds of thousands of people. Social injustice, unrest, and lawlessness that threatens our societies. Where is this world heading? And what does the Bible say about the end times? You Must Know the Times is an eye-opening book specifically designed to educate readers about the last days. You will learn what the Bible says about conflicts in the Middle East, the Tribulation Period, the Nation of Israel, the Mark of the Beast, the Antichrist, Armageddon, the Rapture of the Church, and many more essential topics. Get your copy today of You Must Know the Times by Dennis James Woods at Amazon, iTunes, Google Books, Barnes & Noble, or wherever books are sold. Praise the Lord out there, everyone in podcast land. This is Dr. Dennis James Woods. And what we're going to do tonight is play session or lesson number four, recorded at Victory Apostolic in Madison, Illinois, on November 9th. 2021. God bless you and enjoy. Tonight's topic, the Antichrist. You know, a lot of this is still shrouded in mystery, I think, intentionally. I think intentionally. We may know the times, but Jesus himself said, you don't know the day nor the hour. So let us learn what we can learn, appreciate that, and then apply it to our daily lives. So at this time, let us receive Dr. Dennis Woods. Let the church say amen. Let the church say amen again. Come on, let's give the Lord a hand praise. Isn't God good? You know I'm going to ask you, how often is he good? All the time, in Jesus' name. Glory to glory to God. We are so glad to be here again on tonight, my wife and I. Uh, this has been a labor of love uh, for us, and um, uh, those of you that have been studying along with us know that uh, I've been studying this thing going about 45 years now. And uh, it just, uh, God has just been so good to me. Uh, when I was aboard the USS England uh, uh, cruiser-guided missile 2-2 for all you military types, uh, I was in the middle of the ocean. We was in the middle of the Indian Ocean, and I remember asking God, God, how are you going to use me? I went out on the ship, and I was looking out at the vast, the sea and the sun setting, and I just began to pray. And God, and I asked God, I said, God, just direct my steps and give me a calling in this life. I was 17. And I found a How Lindsay book after that, and after that is history. Glory to God. God has brought me a mighty long way. So let's get to it. Tonight we're going to be talking about the Antichrist. Glory to God. It is interesting that the perspective that the first century Christians had was one that actually anticipated the Antichrist. As we can see from 1 John chapter 2, verse number 18, 
This is what the apostle writes. He says, dear children, this is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming even now, many Antichrists have come. This is how we know it is the last hour. It was common amongst first century Christians to talk about the Antichrist. They were very interested in this subject. Paul addresses this in 2 Thessalonians. Um, they, uh, obviously, John had to address his people that he were writing to that he referred to as dear children in a very pastoral way. From the Pillar of New Testament commentary, this is what the commentator, he's, he says, the author believes that he and his readers live in the last hour because what he sees happening around him corresponds with predictions concerning the last hour. By saying, as you have heard, he indicates that the teaching about the coming of the Antichrist was well known to his readers. And in the first century, they talked about the Antichrist quite a bit. And the reason why is because, like John says, there are already many Antichrists. At John's time, the Roman Empire was in full swing and there were many Antichrist type of emperors who demanded emperor worship. I believe in one of the sermons that your pastor taught, he mentioned one of the great martyrs by the name of Polycarp. Glory to God. Oh, if you read Fox's Books of Martyrs, you'll find out that Polycarp was a faithful man. But let's look, I'm going to quote a few things uh, from uh, 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 one of the uh, scholars from African scholars by the name of Tertullian. And let's listen to what he says. He says, heresies at the present time will no less rend the church by their perversion of doctrine than will Antichrist persecute her at that day by cruel, the cruelty of his attacks. And so in the first, in, in the third century, because uh, Tertullian was around in, in the 200s, around in that range, they, were, they had a mindset because of the Roman government and how the Roman government used to attack Christians. You know, they used to have Christians come out in the circus Maximus and lions and tigers and bears tear Christians apart. They used to light them on fire. They used to saw them in half. And people would sit in the, in the stands and drink beer and eat popcorn and cheer. You know, like we go to the Olympics and baseball, football games. That was their football games back then. Christians. Glory to God. And so we see that it is, was quite common. Uh, let me a quote from a, a, another a bishop by the name of Saprian. And Saprian was one of the people who really attacked a lot of the lapsers that the, uh, uh, your pastor talked about uh, not long ago when he was talking about there were Christians who would abandon the faith because of persecution. And Saprian was one of the ones who really would get on, get on them. But this is uh, uh, taken from his 54th epistle uh, written right around in the, in the uh, third century, right around the 250s, 240s there. It says, For even Antichrist, when he shall begin to come, shall not enter into the church because he threatens, neither shall we yield to his arms and violence because he declares that he will destroy us if we resist. So the mindset of the first century Christian was quite different than ours. They expected to deal with with Antichrist and Antichrist 
the epitome of Antichrist being the beast and Antichrist that were already operating. So it's quite different than we are today. Historically, if we look uh, how John uses the word Antichrist, we find that he uses it in a few different ways. And, as a matter of fact, John is the only person that uses the term Antichrist in the Bible. Glory to God. Uh, let's look at, uh, uh, we already looked at 1 John 2.18. Uh, little children, this is his last time, as you have heard, Antichrist shall come. Now there are many Antichrists whereby we know this is the last time. And so what he's gauging his eschatology upon is looking about and seeing there were already many Antichrists, which proves the fact that there was the Antichrist was going to come. Then he, uh, the many Antichrists included the succession of Roman emperors who declared themselves to be God. And they demanded worship or death. Rome persecuted Christians by the thousands under ten ages, uh, under ten emperors that were very, very brutal and hated Christians. John also uses the term Antichrist in 1 John 2 and 22, dealing with false teachers and false prophets, he mentions, he says, Who is a liar but he that denieth Jesus is the Christ? He is an antichrist that denieth the Father and the Son. Glory to God. You had a lot of the people back in those days were called the Gnostics. And the Gnostics had a lot of influence unfortunately, heretical influence on the church. And people like Paul and Peter and them had to constantly battle, and John had to constantly battle the onslaught of heresy that would seep into the church. As, they, as, as the church uh, people joined the church, they brought in concepts and ideas with them. And so these things often had to be dealt with. And the Gnostics were one of the main sources of heresy in that day. Glory to God. And one of the main ones actually was Simon the Sorcerer. You find about him in Acts 8. In my book, Counterfeit uh, Charisma, The Age of False Prophets, I do a whole chapter on how uh, Simon the Sorcerer wrought havoc in the church. Then John goes on to talk about the spirits that deny Jesus' come in the flesh. Another Gnostic doctrine. It says, but every spirit that does not acknowledge that Jesus is not, excuse me, but every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of Antichrist. So now we're talking about the spirit of Antichrist or the wave of false teachings that mitigated or militated against the idea of Christ coming in the flesh. Because to the Gnostics, they believed anything material was evil and only the spiritual was, was that was right and holy. And so therefore they rejected a, a fully manifested Christ that came in the flesh. So their teaching was Christ really didn't come in the flesh. Glory to God. It's kind of crazy, but this is some of the things that John had to deal with. And so this is what he uh, identifies as an Antichrist spirit. In 2 John uh, 1 and 7, it says, I say this because of many deceivers who do not acknowledge Jesus as coming in the flesh have gone out into the world. Any such person is a deceiver and an antichrist. So you see, he uses the word to describe individuals. He uses the word to describe teachers, false teachers and false prophets, but he also uses it to describe the epitome of the antichrist which will come in the eschaton or in the last days. 
So now when we talk about the Antichrist or the beast, the beast, the Antichrist will be a great charismatic political figure, a very influential leader who will have answers to many of the world's socioeconomic geopolitical problems. He will be a captivating inspirational orator, a peace advocate, and a friend of Israel until he turns on them. Okay? Unlike Jesus, whom the Bible states had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. You see, we have this idea of a real fine and good-looking Jesus. The Bible says he was not good-looking. But see, a lot of people don't know that. We get so used to looking at these pictures and stuff like that, which is complete garbage. The bottom line is, is this, this is what the Bible says. There was nothing in Jesus' appearance that would attract people to him. Glory to God. That's the truth about our Lord. But unlike Jesus, Antichrist will come and he'll probably be very beautiful. Just like Ezekiel 28 describes, glory to God, the king of Tyre then transitions to Satan as being covered with every beautiful stone. It was just very attractive. Antichrist will probably come in that vein. Glory to God. Now, there are many names for Antichrist. Obviously, he has the Antichrist. Then he has the beast that we find in Revelation 13. Then he has the king of fierce countenance. That's found in Daniel, chapter number 8. He's also called the little horn in Daniel, chapter 7. In 2 Thessalonians, he's called the man of sin or the man of lawlessness. In 2 Thessalonians, he's also called the son of perdition. So these would be some of the actions of the Antichrist. He receives his power directly from Satan. The world will worship the beast. Revelation 13. He will speak great things and blasphemies against God. Revelation 13, 2 Thessalonians, Daniel chapter 7. He opposes all that is called God or that is worshipped. He will break the treaty with Israel and take away the offerings and the sacrifices at the temple. Just like we discovered last week what Antiochus Epiphanes did, glory to God, he would do the same thing. He will kill the two witnesses of Revelation chapter 11. He will place the abomination of desolation Spoken of in Matthew 24, Revelation 13, Daniel 27, uh, 9, uh, 27. Place that abomination, walk into the temple, call himself God, and also erect an image of himself and place it in the most holy place. Antiochus Epiphanes did the same thing. He erected a statue of Zeus in the most holy place and, and sacrificed a pig on the altar. That was the first abomination, and a Christ will be the epitome. Of that action. He will make war with the saints. He will cause all people in the world to receive the mark of the beast that without no one will be able to buy or sell. He will lead the nation's armies against the Lord in the battle of Armageddon. He will launch a preemptive attack on Babylon the Great and destroy her in one hour. 
when the Lord returns, he, along with the false prophet, will be thrown alive into the lake of fire. Glory to God. One of the first things that the Lord does when he comes back, one of the first items on his agenda is to take him and the false prophet, they get thrown alive immediately into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is final hell. When I say final hell, the hell that people are in right now is temporary because they'll be brought out of that, judged, and then from there thrown into the lake of fire. Okay? The seven-year peace covenant with Israel and the surrounding nations must be in place. Now, what I'm doing uh, uh, here is is I'm telling you about the things that without these things is not the Antichrist. In other words, Antichrist only has three and one half, three and a half years to rule as the Antichrist. He doesn't have seven years, even though he starts the 70th week of Daniel out. Technically, as the beast, he only has 42 months. He's on a very short leash. And so by the time he comes, the world only has three and a half years left before Jesus comes and institutes his kingdom on earth doing what we call the millennium. So if, you, so if people are still here at that time, I'm just saying if, glory to God, it's only three and a half years after he get here. Then the Lord comes back, he institutes his kingdom. Glory to God. The seven-year peace covenant with Israel and the surrounding nations must be in place. Israel's temple must be in place because that's where the abomination of desolation occurs. Alongside the beast, the false prophet must be in place working miracles. So we're going to talk about this individual called the false prophet. How many know that the Bible not only talks about one beast, but it's not just one beast. It's two beasts. Glory to God. And we're going to find that this second beast is just as diabolical, argumentatively even more diabolical than the first beast. Listen to this. Revelation 13, 11 through 14. Then I saw a second beast coming out of the earth. He had two horns like a lamb, but he spoke as a dragon. Let's just break that symbology down. Just a minute here. Spoke as a lamb. He has a, he, he looked like a lamb, rather. Looked like a lamb. In other words, this will be a religious figure. He will have a message that speaks in terms of a perverted type of religion, but he will be a religious type. Glory to God. But his message will be satanic. He will appear religious, but his message will be satanic. That's what it means, but he spake like a dragon. Because in Revelation, who was a dragon? Satan. It exercised all the authority of the first beast on its behalf. Now listen to this. The Antichrist is going to have rule over the entire world. 
This passage says the second beast has all the authority of the first beast. So not only is he a religious type, the boy going to have the same amount of power and influence on the planet as the first beast. And he needs it. We're going to see why. And he made the earth and its inhabitants, inhabitants worship the first beast. So it's not the Antichrist that comes up and says, y'all just worship me. No, what happens is there's the Antichrist and his sidekick, the false prophet. It's the false prophet that says, hey, y'all, listen to me. Y'all need to worship him. It's the false prophet that does that. Okay? So he exercised all the authority of the first beast on his behalf, and he made the earth and the inhabitants. Listen, said he made the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast, whose fatal who had whose fatal wound had been healed. One of the theories is that the Antichrist is somebody doing an assassination attempt, and he's going to come back to life. See, we we really don't know about that part, but this would kind of suggest that. Glory to God. Verse thirteen: It performed great signs, causing fire to come down from heaven. To the earth and full view of people. Now, who used to do that? Call fire down from heaven. What was his name in the Old Testament? Elijah. This person will have all sorts of political power, but he will be a religious type. But he won't just be talking. He's going to have power to back it up. He'll be able to call fire down from heaven. Glory to God. And so this is why the people on the earth, when they see the first beast, they're going to listen to the second beast. When the second beast say, y'all better worship him, this man called it down fire. They say, yeah, we better worship him. Glory to God. And because then verse 14, because of the signs it was given power to perform on the behalf of the first beast, it deceived the inhabitants of the earth. And ordered them to set up an image in honor of the beast. So listen, not only does this guy come, he's got power to call fire down from heaven, all of that. But then he says, we're going to make an image to the beast. But he's not finished. And the second beast was given power to give breath to the image of the first beast. So that the image of the first beast could speak and cause all who refuse to worship the image to be killed. Now listen to this, ladies and gentlemen. This is heavy. Power was given to it to breathe, give breath to the image of the first beast. Listen to this. They're going to make an image to the Antichrist. This second beast, the false prophet, is going to have power to bring that image to life. And that image is the one who causes people to die if they don't worship the beast. And it forced all the people, small and uh, great and small, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive the mark on their right hands or their forehead so that they could not buy or sell unless they had the mark, which is the name of the beast and the number of his name. So it is not the Antichrist that makes people get the mark. It's the false prophet who demands the world to worship the beast 
He's the one who forces them to make an image of the beast. He's the one that has power to give life to the beast. And once the life to the image of the beast and the image of the beast, once it comes to life, will decide who lives or dies if they don't have that mark. This is heavy duty stuff. And it says this calls for wisdom. Let the person who has Inside, calculate the number of the beast. What is the number of the man? And the number is 666 or 666. Now, there is a plausible explanation for how this could happen. How many are familiar with mechanical learning and artificial intelligence? Oh, we got a few people in the room, right? Y'all know about that. How many, anybody ever see the 60 Minutes piece on the robot Sophia? Anybody ever see that? Sophia. Sophia was actually having a conversation. They were talking back and forth. Sophia, empowered with artificial intelligence and all of that, was holding a conversation with 60 Minutes. Glory to God. So now that isn't, for all practical purposes, that is an image. An image that is brought to life, glory to God, so that when John saw it, he didn't have a Greek word for artificial intelligence or Google or the Internet. He wouldn't have had that that type of language. So the way he described it was this image would be able to speak and cause people to be put to death. Now, just think about it. If an image can spit out people's names and warrants for people tied into the world's economy, we all got numbers now. We all are tied into banking. It's probably a few people in here that got a bunch of money in your pocket because we all use cards and stuff. We're going to be talking about that. Glory to God. We're already in an age where we're not using money. I rarely carry money on me anymore because I use, I, I, use electronic, I use electronic stuff, okay? But I believe that we're going to see more and more of this as we go. So let's look at this. The word mark, it comes from the Greek word sharagma, which denotes engraved, etched, branded, or inscribed. That's what that word means. It's a mark or a sign. It can be used for an inscription or a stamp. Okay? The imperial stamp or decrees or to impress on coins and gives it in more general sense of money. That's from the, that, that definition comes from the Theological Dictionary of the New Testament. Okay? And this, so this is why I believe that a computer chip under the skin is not, is not what we're really dealing with. Even though you have countries and nations now that are already doing that. You already got people using now these computer chips, put them in, scan them and all of that. I think uh, uh, Google or Apple or one of these, uh, I think it's Apple, they're, they're, they're testing stores now where people have these, uh, it's a wing, ring or watch you can come in. The store knows who you are and everything. You don't see a cash register, nothing like that. You go in, buy the stuff, and walk out of the store. It already knows you got it and stuff like that. It, it, it can track it. And so we already have electronic banking and all of that. But the reason why I don't believe it's that is because the Greek word implies something etched into the skin. It's some type of tattoo. It's something that a mark 
that will brand people to show that they belong to the Antichrist's kingdom. He's not going to want people to kind of be secret members. He's going he's to want his mark to be right on your forehead because it's a totalitarian government that will try to, that will control all aspects of people's life. And so that's why I don't think it'll be a secret mark. I think it will be an open mark just like the Bible says, on your right hand or your forehead. A computer chip under the skin would not be visible uh, again, and so that's why I don't believe. I, I, I could be wrong, but we don't know. There's a lot of uh, people don't know about this because it hasn't happened yet. The mark of the beast would be the best economic system the world has ever known. It is not going to look evil, people. It is going to be the best economic system the world has ever known. You're going to do away with paper money, black markets, all of this stuff that you see with people doing with dollars and money, people losing identities, false identities, people hacking and stealing your stuff. The market, this will be the best system that will be very, very efficient. It, it, people won't need to update nothing. You get your mark, the system updates. Glory to God, it'll be like that. So it'll be a very, very good system, but it's not going to look wicked to the world. It's going to be the right thing to do. It's going to be the law. Glory to God. It's going to be the thing that you have to do to pay your bills. If you want to pay your mortgage, if you want to keep your kids in college, if you want to do this and that. Now, I'm saying you because you're here. Glory to God. Uh, whether the church is going to be here and all that, we'll get to that later. Let's just look at what the Bible talks about this subject now. How many know this information is in the Bible for a reason? It's here for a reason. So the mark of the beast is going to be a great economic system. It's going to do away with a, a lot of the shenanigans we see today with computer systems. Not going to come off. It's evil. It's going to be the law. It's going to be the right thing to do. It's going to be the way you stay out of jail. And most of it'll be the way to keep from getting your head cut off. Because the Antichrist is going to say, either get the mark of the beast or die. Either worship him or die. But this is what Polycarp and the Christians in the first, second, and third centuries, they live with this every day. It's only in the 21st century here in Western Hemisphere that we don't deal with anything like that. You've got Christians right now in Burma and in China and in India and Iraq and parts of Africa who are persecuted and get killed for being a Christian. We live so good over here, we don't think about it. But this will be every day in this economy and the world. How might a mark function economically? Listen to what it says about China right now. In China, the QR code is commonplace and has been thriving for many years. Implemented in everything from payments to tracking, on, to, tracking to online and offline retail experiences. Its success in the Middle Kingdom is owned to the is owned to the fact that it leapfrogged past using laptops and credit cards. See, in China, they didn't, use, they didn't go to credit cards. They didn't use laptops. You know what they did? 
with technology. They went to phones and QR codes. China right now is 90% cashless. They don't use cash in China. They use QR codes on their phones. So now if you see something like a QR code, that's just like, I'm not saying that's the mark of the beast, but we can understand how a mark like the beasts will function when we look at the technology that is involved in the QR code. A QR code for all practical purposes is a mark. How else would you describe that square with squiggly lines? It's a mark, right? Okay, now, you can take that mark and put it on the back of a card or a box of a cereal. You don't need anything electronic attached to it. Because the technology isn't in the mark, the technology is in the system that reads it. So you could have a mark, just like you've had a social security number all your life, right? Has your number changed? Your numbers hasn't changed, not one digit since you had it. But it's the same number you've always had, but the information attached to that number tells you how much you made all your life, how much you're going to get in your Social Security check, and if, if you like me, 65 and older, whether you're going to get Medicaid, Medicaid, and all that stuff. Glory to God. I'm a bona fide senior citizen. Amen. Hallelujah. Glory to God. I'm proud of it. Of course, my wife said, quit telling your age. They're going to be looking over at me. But anyway. <laughs> I'm in trouble. Can I spend the night, Pastor? Can I? Y'all got, y'all got. <laughs> who, will worship, who will worship the beast? Who will get the mark of the beast? That's a good question, right? Revelation gives us the answer. Let's look at this. All the inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast. All whose names have not been written in the Lamb's book of life. The lamb who was slain from the creation of the world. That's who's going to get the mark of the beast, ladies and gentlemen. Everybody whose name is not in that book. If there are true Christians living at that time and your name is in that book, that means you're not getting the mark. If you get the mark, that means your name is not in the book. Glory to God. That's how you, it really is to divide it. Glory to God. If your name is written in the book of life, you won't be getting that mark. If your name is not written in the book, you will be getting it if you're here. Glory to God. Revelation 17, 8. This is what it says again. In the inhabitants of the name, in the inhabitants of the earth, whose names have not been written in the book of life from the creation of the world, will be astonished when they see the beast. Because it once was, now is not, and yet will come. Once again, you get the same criteria whose names have not been written. How many know that God's people are not going to compromise? If a thousand antichrists walked in this room right now, the only thing he could do to any one of us is kill us once. You know what Jesus said? Don't fear the one who can kill your body. You better fear. He said, after he killed the body, then can do nothing else. He said, but you know who you better fear? Fear the one who can kill your body and throw your soul off into hell. He said, that's the one you better be scared of. 
Because I'm going to tell you something. We all getting out of here. Glory to God. We ain't coming to stay. Now, this is amazing. This is getting deeper. Revelation chapter 14, verses 9 through 11. A third angel followed and said unto them, and followed them and said with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and its image and receives its mark on their forehead or on their hand, they too will drink the wine of God's fury, which has been poured out full strength into the cup of his wrath. They will be tormented with burning sulfur in the presence of holy angels and of the Lamb, and the smoke of their torment will rise forever and ever, and there will be no rest day or night for those who worship the beast and its image or for anyone who receives the mark of his name. That does not need an interpretation. The Bible is clear. If you get that mark, you are going to go to hell. No questions asked. Period. Now, This is amazing. Let's look at it again. It says, A third angel followed them and said in a loud voice. So ladies and gentlemen, listen to this. God sends an angel to the earth to yell out from heaven that message that you just read. Look. Listen to what Dr. John MacArthur says about this. The third angel will deliver his warning with a loud voice so that all will hear it and understand his message. God being perfectly holy and righteous judges people because of what they reject. Because they reject what they know to be true. This is why everyone sentenced to hell will be without excuse. That's what John MacArthur says. But let's continue. The same man who wrote that, John MacArthur, which, which I just quoted from, now teaches that if you are here and get the mark of the beast, you can be redeemed. Now, and he had all of these little theological little wranglings that, you know, the scholars do. Let me tell you something. See how that'll work for you. (laughs) Hey, Jesus, wait a minute. I got my John MacArthur commentary right here. It said, it said we can get the mug and still be saying, I don't know what you're talking about. See how that worked for you. You better believe what God said. Listen to this. T. 
Taking the mark of the beast will be a specific sin that can only be committed one time in history during a period that the Bible declares has never been since the beginning of the world or it will ever be. The Antichrist is a unique dictator, the worst the world will ever see, who rules during the most horrible period in human history and commits the worst atrocities, abominations, and blasphemies and leads the world into the greatest loss of life. Receiving the mark of the beast will only be a sin that can be committed one time in human history. Since taking the mark of the beast will be a specific sin under specific conditions, God issues a specific commandment against this particular sin and clearly states the penalty. To ensure people get the message, God dispatches an angel to do it. Now let me tell you something. When this angel comes and speaks to the world, he will not need a translator. Remember on the day of Pentecost? All those people heard the gospel in their own native tongues. When this angel comes, he will herald it out to the world. When we send, let me give an example. When we send people to the mission field, it takes decades to learn somebody's language. And then for you to be able to translate the Bible in their language and to give the concepts of Christianity to a language of primitive people that might have primitive syntax in their language. So you got to deal. It takes years to do that. If them people don't eat you first, then you got to sit there and be with them for 20 years. The angel isn't going to need to do that because people won't be in any churches. There won't be, there won't be churches running around and, and people and, 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 and TVN and all of that. The Antichrist is going to demand worship as God. All that's going to be shut down so God doesn't leave it to humans. He sends an angel to do it. And no one will be able to block that angel. He'll give the message. That means even at that point, ladies and gentlemen, the doors of grace are still open because God is still giving people a chance. He's still giving them a chance. Now, there's something about the beast we need to talk about. The tripart reality of the beast. The beast is three things. The beast or the Antichrist, number one, is a man. In the scriptures in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3, he is called the man of sin and the son of perdition. He will sit on the throne of God and call himself God. He will speak great blasphemies. In other words, he's got a mouth speaking great things. He's a human. He'll have a mother. He'll have a father. He'll go to high school. He'll go to college. Glory to God. He'll be a regular person. Amen. He will make war with the saints. That's the man, the beast. 
So the beast is a man. But the beast is also a kingdom. Revelation 16 and 10 it says, The fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and its kingdom was plunged into darkness. That's because the beast is also a kingdom. Revelation 17, 12 says, The ten horns that you saw are ten kings who have not yet received the kingdom, but for one hour will receive authority with the beast. In Revelation 13, in your own time, read Revelation 13. John says, I saw a beast rising out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns. The seven, the ten horns represent a ten-nation confederacy that's going to come together in the last days. They're going to give their authority to the beast, and through that, that's how the beast is going to control the world. But he's also a kingdom. It's a ten-nation confederacy. But ladies and gentlemen, that's not all. The beast is also a demon from a place called the bottomless pit or the abyss. Revelation 17, verses 7 and 8. Then the angel said unto me, this is John talking, Why are you astonished? I will explain to you the mystery of the woman and the beast that she rides that has seven heads and ten horns. The beast which you saw once was, now is not. And yet will come up out of the abyss and go into its destruction. And the inhabitants of the earth whose names have not been written in the book of life from the creation of the world will be astonished when they see the beast. Because it once was, now is not, and yet will come. The abyss. What is the abyss? In the New Testament, the abyss is the abode of imprisoned demons. Myriads of demons would be let loose during the period of the tribulation. That's from the Unger's, New Unger's Bible Dictionary. The beast will ascend out of the bottomless pit. The bottomless pit means deep abyss. It is reserved for some fallen angels and in the latter for the devil. That's from the Comprehensive Dictionary of New Testament Words. The bottomless pit is a prison in which evil powers are confined and out of which they can at times be released. That's from the Complete Studies of Words uh, Dictionary from Dr. Spiral Zodiates. But now let's see the functional purpose of the abyss. 
Revelation chapter 20, verses 1 through 3. And I saw an angel coming down out of heaven, having the key to the abyss, and holding in his hand a great chain. And he seized the the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil or Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. And he threw him into the abyss and locked it and sealed it over him to keep him from deceiving the nations anymore until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be loose or set free for a short time. And then in verse 7, look at what it says. And when the thousand years are over, Satan will be released from his prison. So the bottomless pit, ladies and gentlemen, is a prison for demonic spirits where even Satan himself can be incarcerated. Now let's look at this. Not by a legion of angels, not by six angels, not by three angels or two, but God got one angel. And when that angel comes from heaven, he will have in his hand a great chain and a key. He will simply snatch the devil up, chain him up or restrain him. Then the Bible says, verse number 3, and he threw him into the abyss. It wasn't no less escort. Come on here, little devil. Come on now. Come on with me. No. Come on, Mr. Devil. Let me show you where your accommodation now. The Bible says he picks him up and threw him in there. Not God the Father. Not Jesus. Not the Holy Spirit. Restrained the devil by himself. This is the same place, glory to God, that the beast comes from. He's locked up in a prison. And so until the man is born, And it's time for him to be possessed by that spirit. That spirit will be on lockdown in the abyss. And when it's time for him to be let out, he will be let out. And one of the first things he would do is kill the two witnesses. But in my remaining minutes, when I was at Trinity uh, studying under D.A. Carson, one of the things that Dr. Carson said, Be careful over setting tight doctrinal boundaries around apocalyptic literature. In other words, you can't build your whole doctrines around things you get out of Revelation. Add some other stuff in the Bible you can go to. Let's look at what it says in the Gospels about the abyss. For Jesus had commanded the impure spirit to come out of the man. Many times it had seized him, and though he was, and though he was chained and had hand and foot and kept under guard, he had broken his chains and had been driven by the demon into solitary places. Jesus asked him, what is your name? Legion, he replied, because we be many demons that have gone into him. And they begged. 
begged Jesus repeatedly not to order them to go where? To the abyss. Here you have the demons saying it themselves. This place is real. And those demons don't like to go there. You see, they have in time and out time. Now, remember in the first lesson when we talked about the days of Noah, remember that? We talked about how the book of Enoch, how it talked about how those angels came down and corrupted the people. But guess what? The angels also corrupted the animals. We see the same thing here. Come out of the man. But the Jesus said, look, it's some pigs. Over there. But the demon said, it's some pigs over there. Can we go in them? Because they'll take either humans or animals. And so they went into the pigs. What happened? The pigs destroyed themselves. The first mention of the uh, revelation of the beast is not actually in Revelation chapter 13. Some people think, well, isn't that where they talk about the Antichrist first? No, the first time the beast is mentioned in Revelation is Revelation chapter 11. And this is what happens. Talking about the two witnesses. Now, when they have finished their testimony, the beast that comes up out of the abyss will attack them. So now the first mention of the beast in the bottomless pit, ladies and gentlemen, uh, mentions him ascending out of where? The bottomless pit. So that means the beast is not possessed by Satan. Satan is where he gets his authority from. This is the same authority that Satan offered Jesus. When Jesus fasted 40 days in the wilderness, and Satan came to him, he said, he took him to a high mountain, he said, see, I would give you all of these kingdoms and their splendor. All you got to do is bow down and worship me, and I'll give them to you. He said, they have been given over to me, and I can give them to anybody I want to. Jesus said, it is written. Thou shalt only serve the Lord and worship him. Satan offered Christ the kingdom he is going to give to the Antichrist. Glory to God. So we see this repeatedly in the scriptures. So this concludes our lesson, ladies and gentlemen. I wanted to talk to you about that third aspect of the beast because many people had not heard this before glory to God they didn't know about the restraining angel and the abyss so before the antichrist can become the antichrist there's a part of him that's locked up and being restrained in a place called the bottomless pit and until that angel comes down with that key and that chain and sets him free He cannot get into his human counterpart, which the world will know as the Antichrist. And this is how it all works. Isn't God good? Isn't his word good? I know this is some deep stuff. But this is what your Bible talks about. That's all scripture. None of that was Dennis Woods. We're going to turn it back over to our pastor. Come on, let's read Pastor Singleton with a hearty amen.
Let's give it up again, Dr. Wood. And as he just finished saying, this, this deep stuff is real deep. It's, it's in time. And that's why some people uh, just, they don't even deal with the book of Revelation. But I think that's wrong. No, I know it's wrong. Uh, because God has given it to us for a reason. No matter how difficult it is for us to ascertain its meaning. So I'm grateful again for this class. Next week will be our final class. And we're going to also set it up where we must talk. We're going to start for a few minutes as we did the first class and just general discussion about these uh, four classes that we have had. And the main thing we'll be doing next week that I think is so important, he alluded to it today. Uh, we have got to get out of this mindset that we in America, nothing happens to us as Christians. We just escape everything. Y'all can't even escape your creditors. <laughs> I mean, it's a mentality. And, this, and, I'm, and I'm not knocking prosperity preachers, but it's, it's, it's a reality how they, make, they, they give people the sense that what they want to hear. You're not going to go through nothing. It's not. It's a lie. And so one of the things we're going to talk about, not, and we can't say for sure. He and I go talk about this stuff for hours. We can't talk about for sure, but we can talk about that we ought to be prepared on a what-if basis. Right. And so we're going to deal with that next week as we wrap up the classes. But right now, I want at least, I, we were right on time, but I felt it was important that I stop now and see if there were any questions that people have, whether online or in person. So I'll start with online. Uh, and if you've got questions in-house, you can raise your hand. We can be going to the mic about with you if you have any questions in person online what do you have deacon daniels okay you move your mask out because we're more than six feet away okay uh online we have one question so far it says you stated some of the angels were slash are released from the abyss periodically uh could these angels you speak of be released now and where would they reside or how could they be destroyed First of all, that is a very good question. Thank you for your question. There are demons that are very, very active in the world now. It's, it's part of the end-time landscape, but it's, they, they have always been here. They were, they were rampant in Jesus' day. Jesus never destroyed one demon. He only cast them out. And normally, they were allowed to stay in the region where they were. For example... In the uh, situation in Gadara, where this maniac was, the demons normally are very territorial. They want to stay in the regions that they are. As a matter of fact, Daniel chapter 10 gives us a very, very graphic picture of the kingdom of the prince of Persia, which is the demonic principality that controlled the nation of Persia. There was an angel that was going to come and answer Daniel's prayer that was held up three weeks by this demon. And the angel told him, he said, Daniel, we heard you three weeks ago. He said, but the, but the kingdom of the prince of Persia withstood me. He said, I had to call for Michael. Michael stood there, held up that angel so I could get to you to bring an answer. The 
Long story short is, the Bible says we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, spiritual wickedness in heavenly places. A lot of these beings, which we cannot see with our eyes, are in the outer atmosphere of our, of our planet. Glory to God. They're in what the Bible calls, it, it, it states in Ephesians, in the heavenly realms. Not the third heaven where God is, but our atmospheric heaven. So they're out there. And they've always been out there. And that's why Paul says we don't wrestle with these things. Now, some demons are so notorious, some have been locked up in Tartarus. Those are the ones that were disobedient in the days of Noah. They got a life sentence. They're not being released again. Some are active in the earth realm. There are others that are not. In the book of Revelation, chapter 9, there will be demons that are going to be released, released that the Bible calls locusts. They're in the bottomless pit right now. They, these will come out of the bottomless pit. They'll have a five-month mission to torment people. They will not be allowed to kill people, but torment people. After their mission, they'll probably have to go back into the abyss. So... There are things in the spiritual realms that sound very, very strange to us, but biblically sound. So, yes, demons are present. They're out there. Not all of them are active. Some are locked up. Some are allowed to be here in the earth realm. Um, just to Thank you. that one can be redeemed even after um, being sealed with uh, the sign of the beast. Mm-hmm. I, I guess my first question is, is, how does he justify that teaching? Like, okay. what exactly is, 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 is he um, studying or, 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 or believing to, to actually now believe that? Okay. Here's how he do it. Uh, uh, here's how he, he does it. His... Um I forget his name. His, his name is Dr. Johnson. He's one of the people that is over grace to you. He's one of his assistants at Master's uh, Seminary as well. He, he, they had to do a, a big cleanup. As a matter of fact, you can Google this and go on YouTube and actually listen to the question, what Dr. MacArthur said. This is how they justify it. They do it by what I call a change of venue. The question at hand is about receiving the mark of the beast. The text is found in Revelation 14. The text is explicit, okay? So what they do is they don't deal with that text. They change the argument into, is receiving the mark of the beast the unforgivable sin? So this is where the change of venue. Then they go over into Luke and pick Jesus' narrative up about the unforgivable sin, blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And then they said, uh, and then they said, well, uh, everything can be forgiven you, and you can be forgiven of this, you can be forgiven of that. And then they go to uh, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9, where it says, and such were some of you. Some of you are homosexuals, drunkards, and all of this, but such were some of you, but now you are washed. In other words, God will forgive you if you ask for forgiveness. And so that's how they justify it. But the problem with that argument is, The Bible is very clear. Those who get the mark of the beast, their names are not written in the last book of life. So it's not the issue of whether they can repent. The problem with Dr. MacArthur in that doctrine is, is how do you get somebody in heaven whose name is not in that book? 
that's the bigger problem. And that's the problem they didn't address because they changed the venue. In other words, they took the discussion from the text what we were dealing with in Revelation and switched it to a gospel narrative conversation and brought in other concepts from the epistles when that's inappropriate. Revelation speaks for itself. That text speaks for itself. Thank you. And that is exactly correct. Let me add just a little bit more to that, Doug, as well. He's right on track. It's this change of venue situation that makes bad application. I believe it's actually Matthew 12 uh, mm-hmm. or 13 where you have the, the story of, you know, this, this demon being cast out and then they tell Jesus you do it by the power of the ales above. Right. And uh, what, he's, what he deals with there, you know, that this only sin, the unforgivable sin is to blaspheme against the Holy Spirit. You're very familiar with the scripture. And to blaspheme against the Holy Spirit means to ascribe the works of the Holy Spirit to the devil. So that's why Jesus said, well, any sin against the Son of Man can be forgiven. But, but the sin of ascription, to take that which the Holy Spirit does and then say that that is the devil. He said that will not be forgiven in this world or the world to come. But the reason the change of venue language is so important here is not... We have yes. Let's just say MacArthur is correct for a moment. The Bible says it's, it's the unforgivable sin, the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. He didn't do that. The problem here is, based on that time, the people will not come to a place of repentance. In that Second Thessalonian passage, mm-hmm. uh, it talks about God shall send strong delusion that they should believe the lie. That Antichrist is God. In other words, as he's saying, we're, there's going to be a time we have never experienced on earth before. And so the people is not even going to get an issue of they're going to repent. They, the Bible says even with all of the judgment, he just didn't have time to take you through all of those scriptures. But it talks about all those things those angels lay out up on the earth. And the Bible says, and they still did not repent. And they still cursed God. And they still hated the two witnesses. This is why this has to come to an end, because man's rebellion against God has to be brought to a head. Okay, our last questions, or is it two, very quickly. And then this, we got three. Let me take the one in the back, two online, then we're done. Yes. Dr. Woods, hopefully my question makes sense. We know that there's a fight at Armageddon. It seems like the enemy is just targeting the Jewish people. Where are the Gentiles? At the time of the Gentiles, is that over with at this point? The battle of Armageddon will be fought in the plain of Megiddo. It'll be in the Middle East. Jerusalem will be in the center of it. But the kings of the world, Psalm actually talks about this. Why have the heathens raged? And God is going to say that, God is going to laugh at them. It says they're like, they're less than a drop of a bucket. All the world's armies, Zechariah chapter 14 says this. I will gather all nations against 
Jerusalem to battle. All of them. So that means Gog and Magog, his troops, the kings of the east, they're all brought in to that. Now, they may all come to the Middle East for different reasons. But once they are there, there will come a time where the, 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 the Bible says that there will be spirits sent out of the mouth of the beast, out of the mouth of the false prophet, out of the mouth of the dragon that look like frogs. And they will be sent out to the kings of the world for them to bring their armies to this battle against the Lord. So it won't just be about Jerusalem. Jerusalem's a key factor now. It is a day of Jacob's trouble. But God is mad at the world. It isn't just Jerusalem. And you have to understand, even the Jews, many of them are apostate themselves. Glory to God, because only a remnant of them is going to be left and will, and, and, and will give their lives and say they're going to look unto him, them who they have pierced. And they're going to mourn when they see him. But they, many of them are going to be lost as well because they will have made a pact with the, with the, with the devil's emissary. So the times of the Gentiles, definitely the Gentiles are going to be involved in that. They're, they're, it's, it's not like they're not going to be involved. No, there's going to be a, a, world, a global conflagration that is going to collapse upon that territory in the Middle East. And this is where the Lord is going to meet them in the Battle of Armageddon. He's going to slay them all. The blood is going to run six feet deep for about 180 miles. And God is going to call the birds from all over the world to come and eat the carrion that is left. We do have to begin to wrap up very quickly. Now, those of you online, you said, now, Pastor, you try to stay within an hour. I do. Uh, so if you need to dismiss, you can dismiss yourself right now and consider dismissal. If you want to give an offer, don't forget that. You can always leave your offer. But we're not going to cover this next week, so I think it's so important just to get it done. So let me get the, the questions online. I saw someone's hand back there, but it's got to be very quick. Yes. Can, can Christians be held down and forced to take the mark? If so, will they not be allowed in heaven? I can answer, but it's his class. Okay. The Bible says very clearly, this is what you have to go by. What does the scripture say? It's easy to try to create a scenario. And I think when people do that, if they're kind of like, dealing with their own issues of what would I do if I was in that situation, and maybe they don't have it settled yet. Maybe, maybe they're still struggling. With, could, could, I, could I stay faithful if somebody put my toes in the fire? That's what a lot of us have to deal with, right? But the bottom line is this. Antichrist is going to want people to worship him as God. The Bible says those who get the mark of the beast, their names are not written in the Lamb's book of life. If you end up with that mark, that means your name was not in that book. How God keeps his children during that time, I don't know. 
But there will obviously be all sorts of miraculous stories and all kind of things that go on at that time. But the bottom line is, can somebody hold somebody down and make them get it and they didn't want to get it? I don't think we'll have, you, you don't have to worry about that. Because the Bible already says if you get the mark of the beast, your name wasn't in that book. So that's, that's, that's how we parse that. Yes. Dr. Woods. Yes, ma'am. Uh, since we have been chosen before the foundations of the world, yes, does that mean our names are already written in the Lamb's book of life? Let me answer that with a scripture. Well, I have to paraphrase it because I don't know the numbers. Exactly. When the 70 came back from doing miracles, the 70 came back and they were all excited. They said, Jesus, guess what? The demons were subject to us. Jesus says, do not rejoice in the fact that the demons were subject to you, but rejoice that your name is written in the book. Those who have been chosen and foreknown by God, their names are in that book. Glory to God. Your name and my name is in the book. Glory to God. If you've been born again, glory to God. If you have been born again, you are truly saved. Glory to God. Now we know there's tears mixed in with the wheat. We know the kingdom of God is like a dragnet that catches tire irons and whiskey barrels and everything in it. But you got to take all that stuff and chuck it out. But the good stuff God keeps. Everybody in the church is not saved. Everybody you see. It's just a reality that we live in in this life. But if your name is God foreknew you before the foundations of the world. Ephesians chapter 1 is very clear on that. Glory to God. In the name of Jesus. I didn't mean to preach, Pastor. So, I see your hand. It's speaking again directly to, you know, being forced to take it. It's, the Bible says in Revelation 7 that one of the elders asked me, these in white robes, who are they, where do they come from? Sir, you know, these are they who come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes, made them whiten in the blood of the Lamb. There, and there's another scripture, I couldn't put my hand on it immediately. He might know it on the top of his head. It said they refuse to Revelation. take the mark. Which one? Oh, uh, that's 12. Uh, refuse to take the mark. Uh, yeah. They love their life, not their lives yeah, until the death. Which, uh, that should be 12, uh, 12, 10. 12, 10 or 11. This, uh, yeah, this is it. See? Scholar. So... Then I heard, this is Revelation 12 and 10, Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. For the accusers of our brothers and sisters accuses them before our God, day and night has been hurled down. They triumphed over him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. People are going to give their lives. 
And here we are trying to make up our mind if we're going to watch online or come to service. I'm just trying to say it's a whole different mentality, and this mentality is setting it up for these end times to have such a lack of the so an apathetic view toward Christianity that we can't take nothing. So what's your final piece there? Can you, can you share what has to happen first to start the clock ticking before the beast is released from the abyss? There are several things. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, you can definitely have that one. Okay. Let me just say one part. I know you're not quite finished because I know what starts the clock ticking on all of this. That has already happened. And as most of you know, that was the regathering of Israel back into Israel from all over the world back in, that was 1948? May 14th, yes. Yeah. So that's, that's a different question. That's the clock ticking on the abyss. You can definitely have that one. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what was the final part of that? The second part was there are several things that will happen before the beast is released to cause havoc for three and a half years, correct? Yeah, he's, he's already covered that in the class today. Okay. The, uh, what really is going to get the clock ticking, Daniel 9:27. When Daniel's 70th week begins, that seven-year period, the covenant with Israel will be cut. It's called a covenant with many. Do y'all remember when our former president, after Israel's 70th birthday, and they moved the American embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem, the American embassy, one of the things that the former president was trying to do was to set up many peace treaties. And he ended up getting one with, I think, Bahrain, uh, Sudan, and I forgot the other nation. It was three of them. And he was real. Hmm? Yeah, United Arab Emirates. What he was trying to do was to get all these peace treaties done. Actually, that's what the Antichrist is going to do. The Antichrist is going to be the one in the Middle East to bring these, all these people together to get the peace done. They're going to get the Palestinian issue settled. They'll get that settled. The walls in Jerusalem will come down just like we saw when we did the thing, all of that. The, Israel will relax and all of that. It'll be a result of that peace treaty. Therefore, when we turn then to 1 Thessalonians chapter number 5, we then see the, the statement made, why they are saying peace and safety, then sudden destruction will come. That's because once that treaty is signed, that literally starts the clock. Three and a half years in the Bible is very specific. Three and a half years into that treaty, the Antichrist will break it. He will go from a peace advocate in the beginning, getting everybody to the table in the beginning. 
Jews would go back to the animal sacrifices and all that. Their daily sacrifices, their offerings, all that. The, the liturgical aspects of Israel would be in full force. All of that would be going on. And then all of a sudden, he's going to change. And then walk into the most holy place, sit down on the mercy seat or the throne of God, and declare himself to be God. Now, what makes him change from a peace advocate in the beginning of the week to a the beast that has seven heads and ten horns, what makes him change is that spirit that's in the abyss. That's the one that's let out. And when that one's let out of the abyss, that's when that man who started out a peaceful advocate will then turn into what the Bible calls the beast. Okay, we've had a great class. Can we stand? We could be asking questions here all night. But it's such fascinating uh, 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 material. Uh, I've learned and enjoyed it, and I continue to enjoy my discussion. You must know the times. Answers to 25 essential questions on end time prophecy, a powerful new book by Dennis James Woods. The world is spiraling out of control at an alarming pace. Wildfires, earthquakes, hurricanes, and floods devastate entire communities. Global pandemics kill hundreds of thousands of people. Social injustice, unrest, and lawlessness threaten our societies. Political instability and the threat of war increase hostilities between nations. The birth pangs of distress are getting more intense each day. The question is, what do all these things mean, and where is this world headed? Unfortunately, at a time when people need answers the most, many do not know about the end times. You Must Know the Times, Answers to 25 Essential Questions on End Time Prophecy, is an eye-opening book that is specifically designed to educate readers on a wide range of subjects concerning the last days. This book will equip you to discern the times, in which we now live. You will learn what the Bible says about the signs of the times, the conflict in the Middle East, the Tribulation Period, the Nation of Israel, the Mark of the Beast, the Antichrist, the Battle of Armageddon, the Rapture of the Church, the Return of the Lord, and many more essential topics. Discover the powerful message the Book of Revelation has for Christians, and the perils that await a rebellious world. The Lord warns, Look, I am coming like a thief. The one who is alert and remains clothed, is blessed. Therefore, it is vitally important that you must know the times. Be aware, be informed, and most of all, be prepared for things to come. Get your copy today of You Must Know the Times by Dennis James Woods at Amazon, iTunes, Google Books, Barnes & Noble, or wherever books are sold.